The Charles Adler Show starts now. I've been looking forward to talking to Brian Topp, a Canadian political strategist, for, well, frankly, ever since he helped Jack Layton and uh, the Orange Crush. Remember when Jack Layton crushed Quebec and some other parts of, of Canada? Some people thought he was doing so well he could just about become prime minister. Uh, tragically, on a personal level, it was the final years for for Jack Layton. They did a, a terrific TV movie on him. Um, of course, uh, one of the reasons it's easy for me to remember that is because they had me cast, believe it or not, as a, as a talk show host. And, of course, Brian Topp was such an important part of that campaign that they had an actor uh, playing his role as well. I did spend some time with the actor, but I never spent any time, believe it or not, with Brian Topp. So this is a real privilege uh, for me, and I, I know it will be for you as well. Brian Topp, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here, Charles. And uh, I spent some time with that actor, too. And um, it was an interesting experience, you know, like he, he asked for lunch and then he just got me talking. And I, you know, he was asking me a lot of interesting questions. And then I suddenly realized that he was looking at me with absolutely unblinking attention. And I realized I'm being scanned. Uh, <laughs> so um, he was looking at my mannerisms, he was looking at the way I was talking. It was fascinating. He wanted to impersonate you, and uh, you know, I mean, he's an actor. That's that's what that's what actors do, especially in biopics. Yeah. And uh, I was asked, I was asked to do deep, penetrating analysis on me to listen to tapes of me and video of me. I'm serious. Uh, anyway, it, it just uh, it, it it all worked out. Uh, that uh, TV movie did did very very uh, well, and of course, um, I should add that uh, Kyle Irving. Uh, was the executive uh, producer. He was responsible for that happening. And Kyle Irving is the son of Bob Irving, who is, I uh, would say, uh, a, a radio legend, uh, certainly in, in Manitoba. He was the voice of the Blue Miles for a while. And, and here it is. It's impossible on the prairie uh, to have a conversation without uh, um, all the lines of uh, separation, which uh, aren't many uh, between people. Everyone, everyone knows everyone um, and their families and, and friends. And so I'm going to turn this from a prairie conversation to a national conversation by beginning not with what you did most recently in Manitoba, Brian, to help the Wab Canoe. But take us back uh, to the days of uh, Jack Layton. Uh, these would be days when uh, nobody expected uh, the NDP to be anything but the uh, number three party. It had been that way for so, such a long time, uh, known by people who would uh, flatter the NDP as uh, the, the conscience of, of, of parliament and all of that. But uh, nobody expected them to be terribly competitive. What was it about that particular contest with Jack Layton uh, that gave you the material to have the NDP leapfrog uh, the Liberals? Well, it was the overnight success that was about 10 years in the making. So let's remember that, you know, it took a while for Canadians to get used to Jack. And it took a while for Jack Layton to get used to his role. And then when he... When he was used to it, he was in, incredibly good. He kind of left the last bits, last vestiges of his York political science professor persona behind, and he became, uh, you know, a really nice guy who would, had a really, really amazing ability to connect with people, and um, the public was in the mood for that in 2011. And then the events helped him. You know, he uh, he, he worked hard to try to to rid the government, to rid Canada of the Harper government. And although uh, he didn't succeed in 
what he tried to do in Parliament in 2008, the, the frame that he was, he was using, which was let's work together to get things done, uh, turned out to be a winner. And in particular, it was a winner in Quebec, which is where the center of that breakthrough was from. They had just been represented in Parliament for whatever it had been, 20 years or so, by Bloc Québécois MPs, who were essentially empty chairs. And what Jack Layton was saying to Quebecers was, instead of this, instead of just sending you know, messages through your boat, what if we teamed up? What if we worked together? We got a few things done. Quebecers like that pitch. And that, that was the nub of the breakthrough. And then building on that, he also got an unprecedented NDP vote in English Canada. Brian, one of the reasons I was looking forward to talking to you is that uh, you're one of the strategists who takes likability very seriously. I don't know, by the way, I don't know why some other strategists don't. Uh, I think likability is absolutely uh, uh, critical, and I don't care whether you're running for CEO or wanting to be CEO of a, of a company or a union, and you're, you're a former uh, union leader uh, or a, a, a prime minister or premier. Um, recently in Manitoba, the uh, premier had a likability problem, so did her predecessor, and I think it cost them dearly the polls. We'll get into that in just a moment, but you mentioned that Jack Layton, uh, after 10 years, came across to people as not just a that York University professor, but as a nice guy. Is there something about politics where people are seeing you attack, attack, and attack? Is there something about politics that makes many voters think that, wait a minute, these are not nice people? You know, there was some smart guy, I can't remember his name, who wrote a column in the Free Press a little while ago who said, people listen to television with their eyes. And, um, Thank you. And that's, that's true. That is absolutely true. And at the end of the, you know, a piece of the puzzle of, uh, of elections, not only one piece of the puzzle, but an important piece of the puzzle is the public asks themselves, do I want you in my living room for the next four years? Um, and, and so you have to find a way to make a connection with people. And it doesn't necessarily have to be likable. You know, the who will you go for a, a beer with thing is, I think, a, a little over-torqued. But certainly people have to respect you. And they have to feel a connection with you and a positive connection with you in some way. And uh, when you do that, then you've got a, an important building block of victory for sure. Yeah. I wrote that uh, column about uh, the eyes because it was after the debate that your candidate, Wap Canu, the leader of the NDP had with uh, Heather Stephenson. There was a, a liberal leader in there as well, but really the, the contest was between uh, Heather Stephenson of the progressive conservatives. And I just found that during the debate, she was looking down at her notes a lot. I mean, someone can give her credit for, you know, wanting to make sure that she was putting out the facts, but this was not an academic debate. Uh, this was a political debate. And if you're looking down and people are just, you know, seeing the top of your head, they may, may get the impression that you're not all that interested in them. You've got to make that connection. And your guy, Wab Canoe, and yes, he does have experience in, in media, but uh, Heather Stephenson had more than, well, basically a quarter of a century experience in, in public life. So there's no no excuses here. Wab Canoe smiled into the camera, made that connection. And for all these people who keep saying that debates don't make a difference, I highly doubt that Brian Topp would say that in campaign 2023, the Manitoba NDP beat uh, the PCs handling that debate. I doubt that you would ever say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I highly doubt that you would come away thinking the debate made no difference. Well, it clearly made a difference because people in Manitoba made up their minds about how to vote after that debate. Um, so it was, it was well-timed, certainly from our perspective. And uh, as it was just before people started to vote in the advance, 
And I, I think, I think, uh, I think people tuned in that debate, either the debate itself or the clips that flowed from it. And you know, from I think, I think where Rob Canoe was coming from was he was not going to leave, you know, the, his opponents' charges unanswered. And so when they said stuff that he couldn't let stand, he replied to it. But the guts of that opportunity was like eight to ten minutes, basically always, you know, 45 to, 30 to 60 second minutes where he could reach to the camera and talk directly to voters unmediated. And that's very, a really precious thing in a campaign. You know, how many, how much time do you really get to do that with voters? And he's, he is familiar with cameras for sure. He's a great communicator and he knew what he needed to do, you know, in a circumstance where his opponents were trying to defeat him by vilifying him he needed to connect with voters and they needed to look them in the eye and go, notwithstanding what your political opponents are saying, that's just politics and we're going to trust you. And that, I think, was an important piece of his victory. One of the things I had trouble understanding about the Manitoba PC campaign, and one of the reasons I thought that they could uh, use a much better strategist, is because there are certain core values that uh, people have, whether they live in Ontario or British Columbia or Manitoba, doesn't matter. Uh, most of us believe in the idea of redemption. And I don't want to go down the, the religious uh, rabbit trail on this one. That's not my, my point of uh, doing this podcast at all. But whether you're religious or secular, uh, you do believe that people can make a comeback. You do, have, you do have hope. I realize there are some people who are dour and pessimistic for their entire lives. But I'm talking about the mainstream. Mainstream Canadians believe a person can come back. And throwing out constantly the business about what Wab Canoe did or didn't do a long time ago. And yes, he got a, a police record for that. But throwing that out always indicated to me that they were simply not believing that Manitobans had confidence that people could redeem themselves and make a comeback. And that to me created, a, in my opinion, uh, Brian Top, and I'm asking for yours naturally, but I want to set it up with saying that if you disconnect with people's core values by saying, no, 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 some people don't come back. And this person, especially this indigenous person, can't come back. I think that's a message that whether you're conservative, NDP, liberal, whatever, I think that's a dark message. I think it's a negative message. I just don't think it works. And I don't think it worked for, for the Manitoba PCs. Just a couple of quick comments on that. You know, Canadians in general and Manitobans are, are decent people overall. They expect people in public life to behave decently. And the people they want to trust to run the government, they want to know that they're decent. And, you know, what the PCs were trying to do here was suggest that Bob Kinney was not a decent person and that he can't be trusted. And the people of Manitoba who, who had come to know him, he had served his apprenticeship in, in Manitoba politics and in, in the opposition. You know, that's not to be underrated. One of the big secrets about our, our our system of government is that it works quite well. And one of the ways that it works well is that you spend some of your some time in opposition getting to know the government and letting the public get to know you. The public begged to differ after they saw him and listened to him. And they had a number of opportunities in the election to hear him out, and they begged to differ. And the second thing I'll say, and look, I've been in losing campaigns. I, I'm not joining any dog piles on my colleagues across the way here. Um, but I will disagree with them, uh, as I did on many points in this election campaign. Um, they seem to think that this was all they had 
And I beg to differ. I don't think it's all they had. I think they had a much better hand to play than the one they ended up playing. I'll ask you about that in just a, a moment, but I, I want to ask you this uh, about uh, Wab Canoe. I did think and I wrote that Wab Canoe was taking a gamble. I don't think he would have made that gamble unless he had consulted with you. So I want to get your thinking on this. I thought he was gambling with less than two months before the campaign. Uh, he did a speech where he spoke, and he did speak. He did speak very effectively about his um, past record, his his police record, his his run-ins with the law that in, involved um, assaults. Let's just call it what it is. It involved violence. I thought it was a big gamble on on his part uh, to bring that uh, to the campaign. Uh, naturally, uh, he consulted with you. What was your take on Wab Canoe's desire? to talk about his personal past so close to Election Day? Well, let me put it this way. Um, I'll give you a a quick backstory, and then I'll tell you what I I think was on his mind. Um, I I worked for a number of years in Saskatchewan. If you look at my thing right here, you see that's a picture of Ray Romano right there, um, which just happens to be in the frame. Uh, I worked in that government. I'm proud to have done so. He was a great boss. now, when you, you talk to uh, people, in, especially in rural Saskatchewan these days, they, they have been persuaded by three rounds of gigantically funded Tory attack ads that you can't trust the NDP with health care in Saskatchewan, which is where healthcare, Medic, Canadian Medicare was founded by the NDP. And, and the reason why that's the case is because the Tories have run, who understand that healthcare is the you know, key brand strength for the Democrats, have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to attack the NDP's record in office on health care. And for, you know, frankly, mis- what I consider to be misguided reasons, um, my colleagues in that party in the last few campaigns chose not to answer. And I think what we have discovered is that a shot unanswered is a shot accepted, that when you, when claims that are aimed at the guts of your brand are not answered, then the public will believe them. And so, you know, I I think what the Tories were going to do in the Manitoba campaign was blindingly obvious in a circumstance where they believed that they couldn't run on their premier and they couldn't run on their record, that they were going to attack Wab Canoe. And they showed their hand uh, in multiple, you know, in multiple rounds of third party and, uh, and their own party political stuff in the advance of the election, it was perfectly obvious what they were working on. So I, I think where Rob Canoe was coming from, let's begin with a scheduling issue. So the first thing that he did about that was that he told us that we were going to start the campaign a month earlier than the Tories were planning to start the campaign. They, they wanted the campaign to start when they dropped the writ in September, and he decided that whatever they thought, he was going to give himself some more sea room, and he was therefore going to start campaigning the first week of August. So he self-declared a a, a, a whatever it was, eight or nine nine week campaign instead of uh, a short four week campaign, and he decided that he would start by putting out the garbage. He would start by knocking down the blindingly obvious uh, pillars of the Tory campaign designed to disqualify him, since they obviously didn't feel they could run on their record. Now, the first thing that they were doing, and they spent a lot of money uh, trying to get across this idea, was was they were suggesting that. If you vote for Rob Canoe, he will immediately increase provincial sales taxes. So the first thing that he did in the first week of August was make a statement laying out a fiscal plan and committing that he would not do that. 
Um, and then the Tories stopped saying it because every time they said it, what the answer back was he has addressed this and said he wasn't going to. And then he needed to address the issues that uh, aimed directly at his personal character, and if I may say so, an attempt to um, speak to the darkest angels of, of voters in Manitoba with, with, with dog whistles that were designed to divide people instead of unite them. And Let, he, let's just, and uh, needed, Brian, let, Brian, let, let, me, speak, let me just finish. And he okay, no, that's fine. And he, no, and he picked, go, a, go ahead. picked a great venue and just took it head on. And basically what he was saying was, you know, if they go low, I'm going to go high. And if they are going to try to divide us, then I'm going to talk about what it takes to unite us. And in a diverse province like Manitoba, you are playing with dynamite when you, when you campaign that way. And that was, he was offering an alternative. And we got back to what we just talked about a few minutes ago, that at the end of the day, people in Manitoba, like all Canadians, are decent people. And when you, when you say we need the government and political leaders who behave decently, that's what they're looking for. I didn't uh, want to interrupt. I, I just wanted to say to people, because uh, we talk about uh, dog whistles and, and many people who are not political junkies, it's not a phrase they're familiar with. And I know this is a, a critical point that you want to make and it needs to be made. When we talk about dog whistles, uh, we're talking about racial dog whistles. We're talking about dog whistles specifically aimed at people who are thinking that indigenous people have a proclivity for crime, for violent crime, and that Wab Canoe is an Indigenous person who has a police record. Therefore, what else do we need to know? Why would we elect this violent person, this violent Indigenous person? And so uh, the dog whistle isn't heard by everyone, but it's heard by the dogs. So the dog whistle is aimed at people who, who do have that kind of, uh, that kind of bigoted uh, thinking, not want to give an Indigenous person a chance. And I, if, if I've misrepresented uh, your position on this, Brian, uh, please, uh, please stop me. Yeah, well, this is right out of the Republican playbook in the United States. Like, you know, suddenly every two years and every four years, there's a panic from Republicans about crime. And everybody knows what they're talking about. What they're saying is that we have to beware of black people. And, you know, there are conserv this, this conservative campaign tried to import that playbook um, and to play that card to divide Manitoba on similar lines. And what was funny about it was, you know, it's an incumbent government talking here. They're saying, we've been in office for more than seven years. Crime has gone up. And so, and crime is a terrible problem that must be addressed. They were attacking their own record. They were, they were highlighting an issue that, that's about them, that the, the crime rate has gone up in Manitoba on their watch. And if they, if they had, you know, I'm sure that they have, they researched this. Wab Kadu was more trusted on this issue than they were, as he was, by the way, on substantially every other issue. And so they, they were, they were, they were um, picking an odd issue if it wasn't about Adagos. The campaign, I mean, I hate to laugh about something so serious, but the, the, the slogan they used on Wab Kanu and, and the crime piece was, was laughable. I have a feeling that's one of the reasons why Wab Kanu came out looking better in the polls on, on crime than the PCs. I mean, these bus benches actually said the words, because I'll, I'll never forget this, that with Wab Kanu, violent crime will be even worse than it is right now. I mean, you, you couldn't look at that without thinking, is this a parody? Is someone making fun of the PCs? 
I mean, even worse than it is right now, it's kind of like the PC saying, you know, we're doing a terrible job at the, 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 this, this job we're doing really, really sucks. But, you know, this guy, this indigenous guy is going to be even worse. And that's just not something that moderate people and most people in Manitoba are moderate, regardless of their uh, party affiliation or whether they have any party affiliation at all. Um, to a moderate Manitoban, that's a dumb, dumb message. And, and maybe beyond that, it's also a, uh, a vulgar message. Uh, let me uh, go to some uh, something specific that you talked about recently. Um, and uh, this is about a particular riding, Kirkfield Park, which for the most most of the last 50 years has been a, a, a conservative riding. Sometimes it's gone NDP, not very frequently. And uh, it was held uh, this time by uh, Kevin Klein uh, of the PCs who won a by-election. And there was something about that by-election defeat of the NDP candidate that clearly got under Wapkanu's skin and I have a feeling that he basically put you on a mission to do what it takes to win that riding. Do you want to give us a, give us the backstory on that, Brian? Well, what that highlighted is that we needed to do a better job on advance voting. And that uh, these days, there's no such thing as election day. It's election week. And a smart party will work to get your, your vote in the box as quickly as you can during election week and not just focus on E-Day. And if you look at the results of that by-election, we won the vote until the advance vote was counted, and then we lost it. And the reason why was because our opponents had worked to turn out their vote, and we weren't taking sufficient advantage of this wonderful gift that's been given, by the way, with all party support, and appropriately so, to make it easier to vote. Um, and so we, and, and you know, we, we just had an election in Alberta, as you will know, uh, the issues were all down to Calgary. The issues were down to the, the election turned on, on, let's say, six seats in Calgary, which were largely won by the UCP by a few hundred votes. And what that spoke to was they were winnable if you had just, if you had just uh, played your cards just a little bit better. And so, you know, with some of I worked on that Alberta campaign. I came out of there stinging from that and determined to do better as well as this by-election, which was very much on Wob's mind. And so we, we geared our, our ground effort with trying to learn the lessons, these lessons. And the key lesson is that, first of all, you need to, at these days, you need to identify your vote as early as possible. And very wisely, the Manitoba campaign had nominated most of its candidates well in advance of this election, in a number of cases, more than a year in advance. And doing this means you're losing the hope that you can recruit, you know, quote unquote, star candidates who can't leave their jobs until two weeks before the writ period. But I think that's pretty overrated compared to the benefit of nominating your people earlier, which is that they can work for a lot longer and they can canvas in their seats. And in particular, they can identify their vote. And then having done that with some, you know, some pretty some pretty ambitious goals. We set some pretty big uh, targets that we aimed to meet, which is in good part we did meet. Then we worked hard to turn out our vote in advance of the election. And that was the lesson that we learned from Kirkville Park. And the consequences that everywhere where there was a squeaker, for the most part, they went to us instead of the other way, which is what we were aiming for. Now, more with Charles Adler. Brian Top, uh, who is the person who came up with the idea to get Lloyd Axworthy, uh, who is a, a liberal stalwart, has been for years, I'd say he's been the, the king of the liberals in Manitoba for decades now. Uh, who uh, came up with the idea that Lloyd Axworthy ought to give a very, very public endorsement 
to Wab Canoe because I think that did make a, a difference. It hived off a number of liberal votes and that helped the NDP go over the top. Was was that your idea, Mr. Top? Well, the um, uh, the relationship and the the the, the idea that um, Mr. Axworthy might do an endorsement like that came from Wab because they had gotten to know each other when they'd worked together in university and they had been talking to each other a fair bit. And one of the interesting things about Wab Canoe is that he talks to a lot of people, um, and uh, and so he they, they had a a friendship, I think it would be fair to say, is certainly a, a, a relationship of mutual regard. And so Wab identified this as an opportunity um, in, in a circumstance in which, again, if I can say it, it was blindingly obvious, it, going into a campaign where the New Democrats and the Tories were pretty close in the polls, that uh, people who vote liberal federally in Manitoba were going to decide the election. And the opportunity to get an important endorsement like that from Mr. Axworthy was could be really significant. Now, in terms of the tactics of it, um, if I I, I, uh, I guess I'll boast and say that the idea of buying the rap on the free press was my idea, and the reason why it was my idea was because it had been done to me in a in a campaign in a different province, <laughs> and I tucked it away as I didn't know you could buy the front page of the paper, um, and so I was. I just tucked it away and said, someday I'm going to do this for you. And, yeah. um, and the opportunity came up in this election. And uh, um, it was, you know, it was timed for the day that the premier called the election, basically to mess with her, um, to, 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 to offer a counter narrative to, to, to where the Tories were going to put out their tent and to appeal to a very important group of voters. When you uh, bought those ads, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, with s- some friends. It's not going to surprise you, Mr. Top, to know that most of my friends happen to vote conservative, and I have voted conservative for most of my uh, my adult life in Manitoba and elsewhere. And, uh, you know, I put it all out in the shop window so uh, people can call me partisan if they like, but I don't think it's partisan simply to, to tell the truth and, and to be as fair as possible with, with, with both sides, as I, as I always try to be. And so in this particular case, friends of mine are, are looking at that front-page ad and, Everything you bought in the free press, essentially, it was four different uh, pages. And one of the pages was filled with a picture of Lloyd Axworthy and his ringing endorsement. Never never seen such a character endorsement of a candidate, especially coming from a member of a different party. So I must admit, I, I can't remember which friend. And uh, I always give people anonymity on these things. But one of my, one of my best friends uh, was looking at this and said, I don't know who the son of a bitch is running Wab Canoe's campaign, but he's a genius. That's how that's how that was seen by a particular uh, Manitoba PC voter. Uh, they, they admired what, what you did there. Now, there's something else that was going on in that campaign. You sort of alluded to it, but I want to get into it a, a little bit deeper. And uh, this idea that the only thing the PCs had uh, going for them, they thought, was that Wab Canoe was going to be a negative for the for the NDP, and so that kind of backfired to. Uh, Use uh, use understatement. Uh, it was uh, just not a very wise uh, piece of strategy. Now, when uh, the campaign manager, I guess you, I'd say your 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 manageable PC counterpart, was asked about all of this, uh, why 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 was the campaign uh, uh, dirty? Uh, why why the ads? Uh, why 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 why? She said that they had research that about a year ago. Uh, the uh, Manitoba PCs were going to absolutely melt down. They would go from 35 seats to only 12, which is, you know, more than more than a 65% dump. 
And um, I, I looked at that comment of hers, which was made to a, a free press uh, reporter. And I said to myself, well, wait a minute, you can't keep anything in this town a secret. If, if the PCs were going to be down to 12 seats, a number of us would have known about it because, you know, these things do leak. So I didn't know what the hay she was talking about. What did you feel in, in your political bones, especially knowing what you know about all of the data, not just from the last few weeks, but from the last few years? What was your thought when you saw the campaign manager said that they had research, research telling them it was going to melt down to just 12 seats? Well, look, I'm going to say again, I, I'm not going to join the dog pile on my colleague across the way. I've been there. I've been I've been I've managed the campaign where we got our hearts broken by not winning. And I've been yelled at in airports and gone through that whole experience. It's just a ritual in politics, you know, the dog pile on the campaign director. Um, but I will say this. Going into this campaign, it is not true that they were looking at only having 12 seats. That's clearly the case. And I. I I think they misread uh, the cards, and I, I do find it a, a bit hard to understand what they did. So first of all, in part because he responded effectively to what they were trying to do, this this hope that they could turn Wabkanu into an asset for them was, was a foreign hope. People in Manitoba like Wabkanu, and uh, they weren't they weren't able to change that. Um, but I I have a different thought about them, and I'm you know. I'm happy with what they did because it was probably the worst thing they could do. Um, but I, I, I think they misread their opportunities. And, um, you know, the, the budget that, that the premier came out with in the winter was an attempt to repair a lot of the damage that the, they had done while they were in office. And they were able to frame it as a kind of a, what used to be called a good news budget with all sorts of stuff in it that they, they spent a lot of money talking up. And if you look at the, you know, the clock spin of, of this campaign, by the end of July, having, having spent a lot of public money campaigning uh, on the public dime, they had substantially narrowed the difference with the New Democrats. Because they still had a, a, a big hill to ride, get over, because the, uh, Rob Canoe was much more popular than the than the premier um, and the public was in the mood for change and also the issues that while Canoe was about to campaign on, basically healthcare and cost of living are were top of mind issues and the government hadn't persuaded the public they were addressing them effectively. But they had certainly narrowed things a lot. And then what they did was, first of all, they went quiet for a month. They just, they just kind of went to sleep all through August while we were going around knocking down their campaign and then we laid out substantially all of Bob Canoe's health care plan, uh, essentially unrebutted. And that was kind of weird. And then when they, when they woke up again and they launched the campaign and they went, they set aside all that work they had done on that budget and all that public money that they had spent talking it up. And instead, what they essentially did was campaign for four and a bit weeks on Tory internal fundraising slogans. This stuff that they're running on is how they raise money from their members uh, by getting them angry, by riling them up, by speaking to their darker angels, by urging them, you know, you have to act now to stop this. That's how they talk in their fundraising. And they, they seem to pour it over into campaigning. And as you have remarked, and uh, I feel like the, that doesn't resonate with average voters. And there's a, you know, 
there's a, a there's another conservative party than that. There's a conservative party that's all about human rights. That's Ethan Baker. There is a party that is cares about public education. That's Bill Davis. There's a party that is that is, that that thinks about the future and doesn't throw away your natural resources revenues. That's Peter Lougheed. Uh, there, there's uh, you know a, a conservative party that I I have never supported that I don't share the the goals for that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't appeal to people's darkest angels, but tries to unite them around uh, some kind of, you know, a, a common purpose that is not that destructive, that is not aimed at just getting back into office, office by dividing people and making them angry. And uh, I think they had an opportunity to run that campaign that they chose not to do it. I think they made a bad choice. And the saddest moment of it all was looking at that wonderfully graceful smiling, warm speech that Premier Stephenson gave in her concession speech. Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a very nice speech by somebody who looked like a pretty nice person. And it's a shame that that person didn't campaign for office because if she had, she might have done a lot better. Brian, uh, Top, if I had told you, without saying it's uh, the Manitoba PC, is just uh, talking to you as a political strategist and a friend, if I had said to you, you know, there's a there's a there's a province somewhere in this country where taxes are relatively low, where people's uh, property has uh, gone up uh, last uh, most of the last decade for you know by more than more than fifty sixty percent, uh, and uh, unemployment is really low. Uh, so if I had told you that, would you have said, well, in that case, the incumbent must really be in danger? They. they they could they could melt down, or or might you say, well, if those things are true, Chuck, the the incumbent's got a good shot. Uh, what would you have said? I would have said that depends. Um, so, you know, certainly an incumbent government that has a lot of economic factors working for it has got some good stuff to work with. There's no doubt about that. Um, what scrambled a lot was COVID, and I, I would say some some serious misjudgments and poor governance of healthcare system over almost a decade. And, you know, at the end of the day, what do provinces do? If you look at their budgets, what are they responsible for? Half of provincial budgets are about healthcare and another quarter to 30% or so are about education. That's the business that you're in, healthcare and education. What a premier is there mostly to do is to manage those public services. Yes, provinces can affect the economy and they have they, they, they can create an environment, a you know, pro-investment environment. They can create a pro-growth environment. And by the way, Wab Canoe has that very much on his mind. Um, but, um, you know, job one is those public services. That's how our system of government is set up. And when you completely fail uh, in the eyes of the public at the biggest job you got, then there's a pretty good chance that the election is going to be about that. Um, and you better have something smart to say about it. And they, uh, instead they were, they were doing those, those bus benches that you're talking about. And that was a mistake, a big mistake. So having a, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth again, but having a relatively robust economy where, where people uh, can uh, come to Manitoba and uh, get opportunity, not be taxed to death, fairly low energy rates, Manitoba hydro, just, I don't want to, you know, check off every single box, but you're, you're suggesting that when you're, running for provincial government, um, having a strong economy uh, with people having both income security and uh, 
house price security, you're suggesting that isn't nearly enough unless you've really got it together on healthcare and education. Um, the, the opponent has a good chance of beating you. Well, I wouldn't quite put it that way, but don't, don't get me wrong. You, that's pretty important stuff that you're talking about there, uh, what people, people's pocketbooks and the economy. No doubt about it. One, one way in which Manitoba is a little different than a number of other jurisdictions is that it has seen NDP government, as, as Saskatchewan has. You know, it's a little hard for the Tories to argue if we have an NDP government in office, all is lost. Everything will be destroyed. They, all the employers are going to run away. They, public thinks NDP. They think Gary Dewar. And they know that that didn't happen under, that, under his government. He was a cautious, pragmatic, prairie New Democrat, very much in the style of Ray Romano and the, the Saskatchewan government of that era, of the same era. Um, and so the kind of visceral worry that Tories try to try to generate about the economy when they're up against the Democrats in Western Canada probably works least well in Manitoba because people know perfectly well that New Democrats can be trusted uh, to manage the economy. And so as long as you don't make a big mistake, uh, what, you, what New Democrats need to do on this issue is fight it to even. They need to get to the Tories and the New Democrats can both be trusted to manage the economy. And then in a circumstance where you have that bad a record on health care, then you go right at it because it is what uh, that's what the public is concerned about. And that's the job one that the province needs to focus on. And that's what they want. That's what they want to see that they're not getting from the current government. And that is how this played out. And I don't think the, uh, the outgoing government was able to answer this because they, they didn't try to answer it. Instead, they, they focused on their fundraising slogans and those only speak to their members, not to voters. I don't doubt that uh, many of us in Manitoba sometimes will view the idea of NDP government associated with, with Gary Dewar, who was very, very successful. But um, some of us also view it as Greg Selinger government, because he, he ran the government for a number of years in between uh, Gary Dewar and Brian Pallister. Uh, so let me just ask the question this way. What did you do to make sure that NDP governance wasn't associated with Greg Selinger, because after all, he was the one who tasted a serious defeat. Wabkanu ran as a Greg Selinger New Democrat, and he managed to win his riding, but there weren't too many others in the caucus. Well, the, the nub of why that, that premiership failed was a, a, uh, a broken campaign commitment that resulted in an increase in the provincial sales tax when there had been a commitment not to do that. And that was the first thing Wab Canoe talked about in this campaign. So the first week of his campaign was invested into precisely speaking about this issue, the nub of it. And the Tories were trying to talk this up by saying, uh, whatever he says, um, Wab Canoe, if you vote for him, is going to increase the provincial sales tax by one point. And he said, I will not. And as you uh, very wisely pointed out, people listen with their eyes. They, they watch those clips. There was a pretty high awareness in the province about what he had said there. And because I think they like him and they trust him, they took him at his word. And that's how this was dealt with. So, Brian Top, I don't pretend to be a political uh, strategist, uh, but, you know, I, I do know a few things about politics. And I do know a few things about public speaking and, and, and public persuasion. If you've got high likables, 
if you've got a lot of moral authority as a, as a premier, you can make the case that Wab Canoe will likely do a Greg Selinger and say one thing and do another and end up raising your taxes. If you've got a lot of popularity, if you've got that moral authority, if you've got that weight, you can make the case and carry the day. I would respectfully suggest to you that the reason the Tories weren't able to persuade people of that was simply because the Tories did not have a leader with high favorables, a lot of command of the lectern, and a lot of what we'll call moral authority, gravitas. Canoe beat her in the gravitas contest, and that's why I once again respectfully submit that he was able to win the argument about sales taxes. No, you might be right. I, I, I think on a nose-to-nose, I'm saying you'll do it. No, I won't. That the public went with him. Um, another piece of the puzzle is they they couldn't make up their minds what they were campaigning on, and so they were they were throwing out tons of stuff. Um, and if they thought that this was the key point, what it all comes down to is let's have a referendum on our belief that Bob Canoe is going to add a point to the provincial sales tax then they needed to talk about that for seven weeks. And what they did was they talked about it for a week or two. They, they, there was a third-party campaign about it. There was, they talked about it uh, through their caucus. But then they switched off it and on to a bunch of other stuff that we've been talking about today. And so you know, another piece of the puzzle here was they, they didn't really press the argument very hard because they wanted to go to a darker place that they thought was going to be more effective. They didn't really want to debate this because they thought they had something better. And it turned out that it blew up in their face and that you learned, they learned something that I, I hope, I hope uh, proves to be true in the rest of the country, which is that when you choose to stop debating public issues and instead you are going to run a campaign against murdered women and school children, that maybe you're not going to do that well. Yeah, I think that, uh, that can be carved into stone for political science students. If, if you're going to run a campaign against murdered women and school children, you're not going to do that well. Brian Topp, October 2023. Uh, Brian, um, we uh, enjoy having you in Manitoba, and I can uh, safely tell you the NDP really enjoys having you in, in Manitoba. But I'm just speaking to you now as a, as a fellow uh, Manitoban. Uh, do you have any plans to stay, or do you have to, to move on and take on some other major missions? Well, I, I, I've, I've been friends with Rob Canoe for quite a while. Um, he and I have talked ever since he started as leader, and I, I hope you'll keep talking to me. Um, but I'm going to return home um, to sunny Ottawa um, and uh, be a good friend of the Manitoba NDP as people are going to be across the country. It was Rob Canoe won a fantastic victory. He's got a great mandate. He's got a, a really good agenda. It's a thoughtful and cautious agenda. And he's going to remain thoughtful and cautious, I think. And all of us are going to try to help him out because we want him to succeed. Ryan Top, uh, it was a uh, smashing success uh, for you and your, your crew here at Manitoba. You outsmarted. Uh, uh, you just outthought. You, 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 you decisively defeated uh, the incumbents, the, the Manitoba PCs. And so you've helped to make some history in helping to make Wab Canoe the very first Indigenous premier in this country. Thank you so much for this. And uh, no matter what missions you run, no matter where you, you choose to live in the next little while, whether it's Ottawa or any other part of Canada, thank you for this. And you're always welcome here in Manitoba. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Brian Topp, he's a campaign strategist, has been for decades. And uh, this time around, he lent his wisdom uh, to Wap Canoe and the Manitoba NDP. And as I said a few moments ago, he won decisively.
I always win when you join us, whether it's on video or audio, regardless of which uh, podcast platform you're using. Thank you so much, and thank you for spreading the word to your friends and neighbors and everyone else who cares about podcasting. I'm Charles Adler. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press, and every day at criermedia.co.